Hi everyone, Daniel Ramsey here, the CEO of My Outdesk and the host of Scale the Podcast. This podcast is dedicated to having conversations that unlock the exact formula and strategies multi-million and billion dollar companies use to scale their business. You can visit me on our website at scalethepodcast.com or listen to this podcast on iTunes or Google Play. Hey everybody, Daniel Ramsey here with My Outdesk. I'm really excited because we have a special guest today. As you know, we help real estate professionals grow and scale businesses. In fact, if you hang out, we're going to give you a copy of our free book towards the end of the, the, this webinar. So I'm really excited because we have Jeremy uh, Neuer. Am Neuer. I saying that right? It's lawyer, Neuer. but Neuer. Neuer. No, it's Neuer. That's right. Okay, I got it. I got it right now. Um, we've got Jeremy here today, and I'm excited because he's the senior vice president of CBRE. I'm in a deal with CBRE right now, Jeremy. I don't know if I told you that, buying an office complex. So, so I'm excited about that. And we've got you here today to kind of add value and kind of love on our audience and talk about commercial real estate. So thanks for joining us today. What, what are you buying and where? We're all in the deal now. <laughs> we're, all, we're all in. Everybody's here. Yeah. Uh, just an office, man. Just a small little office for our business. I'm excited because I'm doing an SBA loan. It's three Rates are 3% right now. That's awesome. That's it's kind of crazy. Yeah. I love it. But man, thanks for being here today. My pleasure. My pleasure. Let's start with a little bit about your story. Talk to us about who you are, what you do, and how you got started in this business. Sure. So uh, I got started, as my daughter likes to say, uh, when the dinosaurs roam the land. She ate. She thinks that I'm I'm really really old. Yeah. Uh, dinosaurs did not quite roam the land in 1998, but uh, I will say that I've been in the business so long that when I I joined uh, the now defunct Grub and Alice in November of 1998, I had to bring my own computer from home. They nice. Did not supply everybody with computers, so uh, it was not standard issue. I had my own uh, brought my own uh, desktop computer from home, and so I've been. Uh, I came from the restaurant business. My father's been uh, a commercial real estate attorney for uh, over 40 years. And when I decided that I wanted to get out of the restaurant business, which uh, my mother's side of the family is in, still is, uh, he said, why don't you meet with my friend, Joe Romano? Joe Romano was running Grub and Alice in New Jersey at the time. And I said, yeah. no. And he said, I want you to just meet with him. You never know. And I met with him. An hour later, he offered me a job and I took it. The only uh, caveat was that I, I had to shave at the time. And so <laughs> you know, now beards are in, but back then uh, yeah. it, it wasn't it wasn't quite as acceptable as it is now. So uh, I joined Grub and Alice in November of 1998. My yeah. initial focus was, uh, was retail leasing. I mm -hmm. figured out pretty quickly, uh, really within like nine months, that retail leasing wasn't for me. I moved over into the office uh, leasing side of the business where I stayed until about three years ago when I made a, uh, a shift. Some say it was a midlife crisis. Uh, I, I, I like to say that the crisis occurred before then, but uh, I moved over into the capital markets, uh, institutional property sales uh, side of the business. So we focus on sales of really office retail, multifamily, uh, and some industrial over, uh, call it over $20 million. Uh, my team works the suburban tri-state area. I specialize uh, and focus on New Jersey. 
yep. uh, which is where I've lived all my life. So uh, that's the background. I have three crazy kids. Uh, that's the background. You got that's it. Awesome. That's awesome. And your dad being a real estate attorney, you kind of grew up in the industry. You learned. Yeah. I mean, there's somebody that I'm doing a deal with now who was at my bar mitzvah, which was in 1997, <laughs> excuse me, 1987. Jeez. Uh, 1987. So uh, yeah, I grew up in and around the business. My father was always kind of going to a planning board meeting or a zoning board meeting. And now he actually sits on the zoning board in, in the town I grew up in, in West Orange. But uh, it was always kind of there in the background. It right. wasn't anything that you know, I used to always go to work with my grandparents and, and go to work down the shore with, you know, in the restaurants and the restaurants was where I thought I was going to end up. And, right. you know, you never, you know, what do they say? You know, man plans and God laughs like, you know, my, my, this is not how I planned it out, but I couldn't have planned it any better. This is uh, I love the business and I love, uh, I love the business. I think it's great. It's afforded yeah. me a lot of fun. So walk us through a uh, commercial, you're, we're interviewing you because you've had massive success in your career. And it's, I mean, I can tell because when we were kind of doing our pre-interview, I was asking you, hey, what do you, what could we do for you in this? And you're like, hey, man, I'm, I'm just here for you guys. I'm here for your audience. And that's servant leadership, which I really appreciate and love. And I think, I think it's positive the way you kind of you've had so much success. So what advice would you give other commercial people to have a, a 20 year career? And what, what, what would you tell them? Here's the thing at the end of the day, this is like a little dirty secret, right? Everybody right. thinks that they're so, and I promise you I wasn't going to curse, so I won't, but everybody thinks they're so important, right? right. We're service providers. We provide a service to our right. clients whether you're selling a building for somebody or whether you're on the leasing side of the business and you're trying to help a landlord fill his building, you're trying to help a tenant find space. doesn't matter how big or how small it is. We provide a service. Okay. And if you don't provide that service in a way that makes the client happy, they're just going to find somebody else. Okay. So when I was uh, on the leasing side of the business, like I said, I did that for about 18 years. My joke was, you know, I'm like Burger King. Okay. I do it your way. Okay. Yeah. I can tell you how I think it should be done and I can, I can guide you how I how to get there. But at the end of the day, I'm not writing the checks to pay the rent. I'm not writing the checks to pay the mortgage. So I'm here to give you thoughtful advice. And yeah. frankly, there were times when, when somebody said, look, you know, we just want you to do it this way. We don't care about your advice. And I said, okay, well, if you don't want my advice, don't, I'll go out and do it the way you want me to do it. Right? right. But my job I felt was to, and is to provide our clients with thoughtful advice that they might not be able to get elsewhere. Uh, and, but not get so wrapped up in that advice and that opinion that, to think that it actually matters, right. you know? So you gotta stay humble and you gotta realize that you're a service provider at the end of the day. If, if you wanna be on the principal side of the business and you wanna be the boss, like go do that. There right. are people right now who, who do that. I, to me, uh, I kind of feel like I know my station in life and, and if you wanna have a, I mean, listen, you use the word massive. Uh, I, I've had a wildly successful career to date. I think I got a long way to go. Uh, I did not mention that I was divorced. So 
divorced and three kids means I have a lot of overhead, means I got to make a lot of money. Yep. So I got to work for a long time. And, you know, that, that, that humble nature serves me well. doesn't serve everybody well, but it serves me well. That's cool. What is um, one of the things I was going to ask you is I've noticed your client list. You've had some really big clients being in the capital markets and kind of focusing. How do you onboard somebody like an ADP or one of these larger firms who is interested in purchasing property like that expectation setting and, you know, that initial meeting? How do you have those conversations really to drive success? Well, you, you, you know, you bring up ADP and I'm going to go back to the last question that you asked and I'll, I'll, with a little bit of a story. So ADP, they were a client when I was on the leasing side of the business. And the yeah. first deal I did with ADP was eight years after I first met with them. So wow. if you want to be successful in this business. You have to have a lot of tenacity and a lot of patience just because yep. you call somebody today doesn't mean they're going to hire you today. It doesn't mean you give you a deal. Uh, good friend of my father's, Rick Lackey, told me when I first got in the business, if you're not prepared to call somebody 10 times, don't bother calling them once because you're not going to get what you want on the first phone call. Yeah. So, you know, going back to your, your, your more recent question, you know, onboarding somebody and, and working with a new client, look, I, I really believe in, in partnerships yep. and working with somebody who when your interests are fully aligned, okay, it's like being married, Okay. Uh, I like to tell people, I, I don't want to date you. I, I want to be married. I want our interests to be fully aligned. So let's sit down. Let's get together. Let's, you know, put the phones away for, for a little while and figure out right. how we get you to where you want to go. Sure. You know, what is the best outcome for you? You know, I, I, I once met with a client and I said, they were talking to me about what they wanted and how they wanted it to look and I could tell that they were really limited in how they wanted it to look. And I said, okay, let, let's stop a second. Here's a blank piece of paper. If, forget that you were an occupant of this building today. Yeah. If you, if I gave you the blank piece of paper and said, what would it look like if you had no preconceived notions about what your outcome would be? What would you want? And they started writing things down that had nothing to do with what we had talked about for the previous half hour. Hmm. And I figured out that their goals were really a lot different than what they were expressing in the first half hour. So we really came to a realization that their goals were different than even than what they thought were they were. Right. So at the end of the day, in my job now on the, on the capital market side, the goal is typically pretty much the same all the time. <laughs> Go sell my building for the most amount of money that you possibly can in the quickest amount of time to the best right. possible buyer. Yep. So we, we do a lot of that. I mean, so we know a lot of times what, what the goal is going in, but you always want to have checkpoints along the way. You always want to know that the client is feeling served and feeling happy with, with what you're doing and, and that you're, you're still progressing to where they want you to take them. You know, we're, we're kind of like a conduit. We, we run a process. Okay. You know, we, we have to get them from, you know, A to Z, but we want to make sure that we're running down the right, the right path. So it's, it's all about communication. It really is. 
the end of the day, it, it, it all comes down to how you communicate with people. You tell them what you tell them what you're doing, or do you ask them what you're doing? You check in with them and say, Hey, I'm thinking about doing it this way. Uh, early in my career, I used to be able to, I say, look, we're going to start here and we're going to end up here. So why don't you just help me skip all this stuff and, and <laughs> we're going to get to. So can I just focus here? And people would, didn't like it. Right. They didn't like being told what was going to happen. Even though you knew what was going to happen. I was really smart. Okay. I'm really smart. I was really good at my job. And, but at the end of the day, didn't matter. Didn't matter. People don't, one of our biggest clients for a long time, he, he, he said to me at the very beginning of our relationship, he said, look. Hey, everybody, Daniel Ramsey here, and I want to tell you about an extraordinary offer to take action and start scaling your business right now. You know, I get a lot of questions about how to grow your business, generate more revenue and reduce expenses. And the answer is simple. It's my Outdesk virtual assistants. My Outdesk offers five star virtual assistant services to thousands of business professionals across the United States and making our clients over a hundred million dollars in net revenue every year. Our customers absolutely love our virtual assistants. And I want to give you the opportunity to learn exactly why. Simply text the word MOD, MOD, to 31996 and we're going to give you a free double my business strategy call where you work one-on-one -on -one with one of our business growth specialists to design an action strategy for growth and cost savings in your business. We're gonna give you over 20 growth and strategy guides, a market force personality indicator, an important business checklist, and hiring guides. My Outdesk admins can help manage your office, your sales, your marketing pipeline, and even help you lead generate and follow up. And during this call, you'll learn exactly how you can put them into your business right now. So again, text MOD to 31996 and get a free double my business strategy call right now and learn how my Outdesk can transform your business today. you need to run a bulletproof process for us. If you run a bulletproof process, the outcome is academic, okay? It doesn't matter what the outcome is, okay? But if your process is shoddy, everybody's gonna poke holes in what the outcome is. Right. And so you can have the best outcome in the world, but if you have a bad process, you got lucky. Right. You could have the best process in the world. And if you get to a bad outcome, well, there was some bad luck along the way. Right. Okay. And we can hire you again because your process was good. But if your process was bad and your outcome is bad, it's the last time we can ever work together. You know, what's interesting is I, I just had a realization. I, I think a lot of, especially commercial guys, if they focus on the outcome and the outcome is what everybody agreed to, they kind of ignore the process. They ignore the bulletproof process because they're like, look, I got it done. And they do it through sheer wheel and a little bit of talent and the ability to juggle. 
But the guys who figure out that process, like you had, you'd said, and hit the outcome every time, I think those are the ones that are more successful. Wouldn't you say that that's I, kind of the I, case? Listen, it, I don't think that there's a hard and fast rule in our business as to who's successful and who's not. I think that sometimes it, it, there's a lot of luck. But I'll tell yeah. you that over the course of a 20, 30, 40-year career, I don't know that there's anybody who – I don't think there's anybody that relies on repeat business that has a bad process. Okay. You could be, so it's funny, right? Sometimes we get rewarded for doing a bad job in this business. We're commission-based salespeople, commission-based, you know, leasing people. Yeah. Maybe you did a bad job. Maybe you don't, maybe the client didn't know any better. Okay. You still got paid your commission. Okay. But it tends to all come out in the wash. So, that those repeat clients, they, you don't get repeat clients if you have a bad process, unless you're the most engaging person in the world. Right. And you, you know, they, they love hanging out with you and they're, they don't really care about the process. So there's something for everybody, but uh, you know, we pride ourselves not only uh, on the two teams that I've been associated with for the last, uh, you know, call it 18 years of my career, yeah. But at the, as, on the company level, CBRE as a, as a company, we focus on those repeat clients. We pride ourselves on the fact that the best companies in the world come to us time and time again and trust us to run a great process. Right. And they trust us with to deliver great outcomes for them. And mm-hmm. so uh, it, it all stems back to running that great process. One, uh, one thing that I, I want to hear more about your great process, but I had another question I'm not prior. telling you about my process. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you are. Uh, no. <laughs> yeah, you are. But okay, hold on. You'd mentioned phone calls. And um, I'm curious about your daily rituals to like stay hyper engaged and focused. I know I can tell, you know, that you probably have a ritual in terms of contacts and like what you do. What, what does your day look like? My day looks like hair on fire from the time I, my, my, uh, my left eye opens, uh, my right eye opens first, then my left eye, once my left eye is open, I'm reading emails. Uh, the phone is never more than, you know, three feet away from me. Yep. And I'm being as responsive as I possibly can to the people that I need to be responsive to, because I will say this, there's not one client in the world who wants to hear I'll get to it as soon as I get something done for somebody else who's more important than you. Right. Now, the words who's more important than you never come out of your mouth, but that's what they hear, right? right? So nobody wants to hear, hey, I got something else to do and I'll get to you later. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody once asked me, really smart guy who I was spending, we were spending the day looking at space together years ago sales guy and he says what's the hardest part of your job and i knew that he was really asking like a sincere question yeah and so i gave it some thought and about an hour later i said to him i said i figured it out he said what's that i said hmm. the question you asked he said great what's the answer i said the hardest part of my job is making every client feel like they're the most important one right so as a parent you want all of your kids to think that they're the favorite and right. as a client as a, as a service provider we want all of our clients to feel like they're the most important. So it's being, you know, hyper accessible, uh, touch and base, you know, trying to be proactive with people, trying to get them something before they ask for it. 
you know, we could be like Radar O'Reilly for MASH and, you know, walk in with the folder for Colonel Blake before he even asked for it. Like, you know, that, that's, that's what we're trying to do. Yep. Uh, and I will tell you that one of the things I love about my job is that no two days are alike. Sure. You know, we're meeting with different people. Uh, I'm trying to meet with owners of real estate every day. So yep. you know what my ritual is, is, is trying to just be in front of people. Uh, but make sure that the business development aspect of my job doesn't get uh, put by the wayside for processing. And that processing certainly doesn't get put on the back burner uh, to address business development. You know, it's that's, a delicate balance. It's just, you know, it's not quite a seesaw. You, you want that, you want that balance right. of, of, you know, servicing the business that you have and making sure that, when those deals close, that there's more to come. Are you, um, what part of your, your day or your business do you delegate down? Is there any pieces that you feel comfortable giving to a junior? I, I like a junior associate to be on the team. We have, we have tremendous uh, support on our team. We have uh, four analysts who are much smarter than me. Yeah. Uh, I, I like to I'd like to think that they're probably the smartest guys in the room from in most rooms they're in. Right. Uh, so they're running numbers. They're helping me with due diligence items. They're 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 really helping with a lot of the processing. And then we have uh, a great team of, of marketing and graphics professionals who yep. were working on a pitch. They're they're doing the heavy lifting we're doing the, you know, the big picture stuff and, and they're doing, they're making it happen on paper. Right. And so I, I don't even think that to me, I don't know that I would call it delegation. I think that when you're on a team, everybody has a role, everybody has a responsibility. And so yeah. somebody's the quarterback, somebody's the receiver, somebody's the left tackle, right. You know, for, for everything to work right, everybody has to be doing their job. And, you know, I used to say that our team, any good team is like watching crew. You ever watch eight, you ever watch eights when people are rowing crew? Right. And like you see that all eight, all eight people are doing it in sync and it's gorgeous. Right. right? If one person is out of sync, the whole thing goes to hell. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I want whatever team I'm on, I want, I want us all to be thinking about, how we row together, how we all make each other better, how you make one plus one equal three in, in some, some way, shape or form. Have you ever been like, how do you coach your team? I mean, in the commercial world, there's lots of big checks and lots of big pressure and there's a lot of moving parts. Um, and so in your world, how do you, you know, can you give us a scenario where you had a challenging transaction where you had to kind of bring your team around to serve the client in a high, like walk us through what that looked like. And, you know, one of the challenge. I, I don't think that I've, I don't know that I've ever been involved in a situation that, that you're describing because I think everybody knows the stakes that we play for every day. Okay. Uh, the team is pretty aware uh, this, you know, the team I'm on now and certainly the team that I, that I used to be on exactly what the stakes are. And, and, and it's always the same. It's always, we want to do a great job on this assignment so we can do a great job on the next one for the same guy. Right. And 
look, we, we've, we've closed deals that are, you know, $5 million. We've closed deals that are $115 million. We have one closing this week or next. It's $123 million. Like, you know, we have to make sure that we're right and tight because right. If we're not, we got problems and our seller has problems. And guess what? We're never going to get hired again by those people. So it's all about figuring out how to do a great job to get hired the next time. But it's really not even about to get hired the next time. It's doing a great job, period, end of story. And the pressure is the same sometimes on the $5 million deal as it is on a $100 million deal because the information has to be accurate. You, you can't take your foot off the gas on anything that we do. And, you know, what? look, when I was on the leasing side of the business, are there deals that are easier to do than others? 100%. Absolutely. You know, on this side of the business, is it easier selling a single tenant deal that is a deal with 100 tenants? Yeah, we have a deal right now that we're selling that has 100 tenants. Mm-hmm. Our guys have to make sure that every piece of information that goes into our offering memorandum is right for every one of those hundred tenants. It's right. not easy, but we do it and our guys are awesome. They're really like, I can't, I can't stress enough just how great our guys are. I mean, that to me, I, I, put, I put our team up against anybody. I love it. Hundred, when you're doing a hundred million dollar transaction, what are some of the challenges in that kind of um, in that kind of a deal? It's got to be different than a five million dollar deal. Something. Well, well, look, your buyer pool is smaller. You know, it's like if I said to you, you know, hey, let's 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 go out to eat, and if I say let's go to Five Guys, you're like, yeah, I got I got fifteen bucks in my pocket. But if I say let's go to Per Se in New York, and, you know, it's three hundred dollars a head, maybe I have a harder time finding somebody to go with me. Not that I want to go to per se. It's not my thing, but it is for other people. Uh, I'd rather rather go to a rock concert. But, you know, similarly, I have an easier time, you know, finding people to go to, you know, a show at the Beacon than I do the Stones because the Stones are expensive. So it's similar in in the regard that for a $100 million deal, there's only so many people that want to buy a $100 million deal. Finding those people, finding uh, who they are, addressing their needs uh, is a lot, it can be more challenging than finding that guy who's going to buy a $5 million deal. So it's just, I would say that it's just a smaller buyer pool and and you're working harder. So, you know, we tend to do, now that I'm on this side of the business, uh, we do fewer deals with a greater attention to detail, even though I had a great attention to detail before, but it's, you're doing fewer deals that, that are, you're thinking a lot more about. Yeah, that's good. Hey, it looks like, uh, Jeremy, we've got a good question. Michael, um, he's commercially, he sells churches across the country. It's a very wow. close, close niche market. How would you recommend I sell my listings? How do, how do I ma- market the fact that I have experience in selling small to mega churches to this very small market? Wow. I mean, look, I think that you have a great, advantage in that you know who you are. I can't imagine that there's a lot of people that do what you do. So, uh, I mean, look, you kind of got to do an analysis every once in a while as to, all right, the last five churches I sold, who bought them Mm -hmm. and why? You know, I sit across the street from a piece of property that used to be a church 
and now it's townhomes. So what is the highest and best use of that land of that? You know, let's look at it, not just, you know, we're not going to find another congregation. Maybe, you know, what, why did this one fail? Why, why are, why is it being sold? So is there a way to, I would constantly be analyzing, constantly analyzing and say, okay, if this one sold to this kind of buyer, let me find more people that look like that. Uh, you know who your audience is because you're selling churches, right? It's not like it's pretty easy. You know, there's another church, there's another opportunity for you, but who's the buyer uh, would be to me a, a harder part of that equation. So I think that it's great that you kind of have a niche, but look, look inward and, and figure out where you've been successful before and, you know, try to recreate it. I think it's kind of cool. Um, the opportunity he has because you know the niches are where the riches are you know everybody talks about that and I think I think you're on to something I would wonder um, how you could find a database of people who buy and sell churches and who are the churches that are aggressively growing versus I mean that listen you know any any purchase is a matter of public record so it should be easy enough to find. It's just a matter of, you know, slicing through the data and, and finding someone who maybe you need a, you know, an intern for the summer who, yep. who knows what they're doing, who wants to get into real estate and who can generate some lists for you and then get another intern next semester who can generate more lists for you. I mean, it, it, it's yep. a matter of, you know, just, just asking for the right pieces of, of information. Everything is about information. Well, and CoStar, you can actually, there's a subcategory in there that says church. So you can search on a national database, no find, out, yeah, find out how, who the real estate professionals were that were involved in the transaction, as well as who the sellers and buyers were. So you could build a national database on just on those two things. Michael, I hope, hope we got your questions. Um, great team. <laughs> um yeah, Michael's involved, man. I love it. Um, quick, quick question, Jeremy. What, what um, over the 30-ish years that you've been in the business? 20, what, 20, 20, relax. 20, 20 years. I'm not 30. Going on 30. That's what I would say if I were you. <laughs> so uh, how do you, con you know, consistently stay up on market trends? Like what are you doing to educate and learn and you know, kind of grow yourself as a commercial real estate professional? I, when I first got into the business, there was a guy who I worked for who was a monster broker. And in under 10 years, he was out of business. Wow. Because he, he didn't stay up to date on his contacts. He kind of had his people. And when his people retired, he, he, he was retired, so to speak. Right. So for me, uh, I'm voracious uh, about social media in, in some ways. I'm not always posting content, but I'm trying to read what's coming next. Yep. Uh, I'm very involved in, in the CRE tech space. So I, I, what I don't ever want to have happen is I don't want to ever walk into one of my clients' offices and have them tell me, oh, you know, your competitor was just in here and he told me about this great tech that you don't know anything about. Right. To me, that's... That is game over, right? That right. guy's adding something that I, I don't even know about. Forget it. So there's so much information readily available at our fingertips. You know, just you know, look at the phone. Every you know, 
in the morning, at night, in traffic, not in traffic, uh, <laughs> but in, in different ways. And so I think it's easy to stay up on what's next and what's coming. And, and so there's, there's, I mean, I'm a subscriber to the news funnel. So I get emails sent to me that have, you know, news that they think I want to see. I've subscribed to the Cretech uh, uh, email blast. So I get all these email blasts and I go through them and I try to read headlines. And if there's something I think that's interesting, I, I click on it. And, but it's also being out there and talking to people and, and hearing what they're doing and looking, you know, Gensler's a great source of information for me. Uh, world's largest architecture firm. There's, those are good friends of, uh, of ours and, and of mine. And they're on the leading edge of design. So if they're having gotcha. an event, I go to a design event. Now I have, now I have something to trade. So I'm talking to somebody. I say, you know, I, I just did this Gensler event. And they're like, well, yeah, what'd you learn there? I learned this. Well, have you got anything recently? Oh yeah. What'd you, what did you hear? So right. it's a lot of trading. It's a lot of trading, but, but I find that social media makes it pretty easy to uh, stay up. I love it. I love it. Well, we're about to end. Um, before we do, I'd love to get your advice to commercial agents out there who would like to be in your, your position one day, like as they're growing their team, growing their influence, growing their, you know, pocketbook, what advice would you give to our audience as we, as we wrap up today? Look, be yourself. You know, it, it, it's so cliche, right? You know, just be yourself. There's only, there's only one of you. Uh, early in my career, I had a boss that said, you know, you probably shouldn't go to as many baseball games and concerts as you go to spend more time working. He didn't know that I was going to baseball games and concerts with his clients. And it was my, it's my passion. Admitted. Those are my passions, sports and concerts. Right. Uh, and so, but I've luckily found a, a, a community that, that enjoys doing that stuff with me and, and I'm happy to take them along. Uh, be yourself. Don't be anybody else. Be genuine. Go read the book, The Go-Giver. Uh, to me, I, I've given out probably 25 or 30 copies of that book because I think that it just has a great message about, about how when you do for others, you know, good things kind of come back to you. Uh, and opening yourself up to help and opening yourself up to, uh, to taking advice and, and really sometimes doing things that there's nothing in it for you. Uh, so, you know, look, I, I know that, you know, 10 years down the road, uh, if I call you and say, Hey, remember that time I did that thing? <laughs> yeah. You're like, Oh yeah, I love you, man. You were great on that thing. What, yeah. what can I do for you? And I was like, oh, you know what? You're like your brother. I'm in the middle of a deal with your brother. Can you just tell him I'm a good guy? Like, you'll do that for me. Sure. Right. So it, it's really, you never know what seeds that you plant are going to grow. You got to plant a lot of seeds. Uh, but I will leave you with one message. So early in my career, I had the opportunity to take a deal from somebody else. And it wouldn't have been underhanded. It was just that another broker had kind of fallen asleep at the switch and this tenant came to me and the broker was a friend of mine. I went to my mentor at the time and I said, look, I have this problem. This guy's working with this broker who's a friend of mine. And what do you think I should do? And he says, well, look, if you're going to screw somebody in this business, you better make sure it's worth it because 
it's everybody's going to know about it and yep. it's going to come back to you. Yep. So if it's a lot, a lot of money and you need it, go for it. And if it's not, if you do the right thing, it'll probably come back to you. I called my friend. I said, look, this guy called me, said he was working with you, but said he was kind of upset, was willing to work with me. And my friend really appreciated it. Yep. Uh, she ended up sending me 25% of the commission just because she felt like I had earned it. Earned it. I didn't yep. think I did. I ended up donating half of that money to charity because I felt like it was the right thing to do. Yeah. And at the end of the day, almost 20 years later, we're still friends. Whereas if I had taken that deal, I don't know that we are. So, you know, I tell my son all the time, I try to tell my daughters, but I don't know how somehow it usually gets focused on my son. Just do the right thing. Do the right thing when no one's watching. It, it's not easy. It really isn't easy at times. But if you do the right thing when no one's watching, that's, that, that's where the magic is. Well, and it sounds like you have a long-term view of your career and life versus a short-term thing. Listen, there's no one deal that's going to make your career. I joke around all the time. There was a deal that I did in 2005. The joke, my joke is, is that that deal paid for my wedding, and I'm still waiting to find the deal that's going to pay for my divorce. But at the end of the day, you know, that was not the first and only deal we did with that client. Right. That was not the first and only deal we did that year. Uh, so if you're not taking a long-term view, you're doing it wrong. You're just doing it wrong. Uh, go do something else uh, where you can, uh, you know, have more of a, I guess, a quick hit mentality. This, this is, you know, there's a junior guy who I, I love. He works for one of my competitors. He was with us for a little while. I, I really wanted him to join our team. We didn't have a spot for him. Uh, he, he said to me today that he was going, he was moving from, one side of the business to the other, uh, to, into leasing. And I said, man, you got three years before you're going to know if this is the right move or not. I think it's a great move for you, but you got to be patient. Just be yeah. patient. Take the, you got to take the long road. You got to take, you got to take a long view. Uh, so that's my advice. That's, I love it. I love it. You know, we have another question. It's what, um, what is the CRE tech trends that you are following and the plan on using in 2020 that you weren't maybe, in 2019? Uh, we see one of the guys, maybe it was him. So we're going to start using, uh, we're going to try to start using a tool that does uh, some video for us on the front end, whether it's mm -hmm. some pitches, some uh, really some drone uh, video stuff that we, we haven't used in the past. We have some client, uh, some competitors rather that do it. I think it's pretty sharp. We found a company that we like that's doing that. I think there's going to be more uh, remote tours. I think we're going to yep. try to work with some people who uh, sometimes we have problems getting people in, to the building. So we're going to try to bring the buildings to them. Yep. I think AI uh, is going to come out. I think that uh, VR and AR are going to be big coming up. I think that those are trends that I'm really looking at. I think that uh, when you look at whether you want to call it virtual or augmented reality, when you can see something that's not there, like it's there, yep. it's pretty special in a piece of space. And I think that it'll, that's going to really, I think it's going to kick into gear soon. I think it'll kick into gear in the construction industry. I mean, think about it this way. Like if you can do, if you can spend 
I'm making up a number, right. a modest amount of number, a modest amount of money. And you can have an augmented reality in a building that you're building, right? right. So you know exactly where every outlet is supposed to go. Sure. You know where every, where every everything is supposed to go. And you can eliminate all mistakes in the field. Like, wouldn't you do that? Mm -hmm. like, to me, it sounds, sound, and I don't know anything about construction, but it sounds to me like it's logical, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that we're going to see more and more of those tools. I think from the leasing perspective, CBRE has, I mean, we have unbelievable internal tools uh, that we use uh, between floor and spacer and geofencing. I mean, there, there's all sorts of things that, that we have this year that we didn't have last. Yeah. Certainly that we didn't have five years ago. So if you said to me, you know, look, I, I need, I mean, you know, I got, I need 20,000 feet. So how do you know you need 20,000 square feet? You say, well, you know, I have, uh, I have a hundred people and uh, I think that that's 20,000 square feet. And I said, well, why don't you go use our spacer tool and, and play around with that and you tell me how much space you really need. Right. Right. Maybe it's 18. Maybe I just saved you 10%. Sure. Maybe it's 22. And we would have wasted time looking at 20,000 square feet and then, and then laying it out. Our floor tool, we can have it laid out for you in minutes. Right. And you can see it in 3D. And, um, yeah, no, wait, I can use my finger. You know, that office shouldn't be there. Let me move that office somewhere over here. Mm -hmm. So I think that there's a lot of tech that, on the occupier side. But here, here's what I'll tell you, though, because people ask me this all the time. When do you think that we're going to have full adoption of technology in real estate? And I will tell you, the minute that it will happen is the minute that all of the users, the occupiers of space, when the occupiers of space demand it, we'll have full adoption. Because the landlords are, some landlords are still playing the game like it's 1985. Sure. Like that, and some are playing the game like it's 2020 already. And once the tenants all say, you know what, I want to be in that building because I can run my business from a technology perspective more efficiently because that guy gets it. Yeah. Or because that guy has an amenity stack that that guy just doesn't have. We're going to see a major shift. We're starting to see it. We work disrupted the whole industry. They were just right. better at being a landlord than anybody else, right? It was all about the culture. It wasn't about the fact that they had beer. It was about the fact that everybody wanted to be there. So at the end of the day, I think that we'll see some things that are tech-driven, and I think that we're going to see some things that are really more amenity-driven. But to me, I think that uh, 2020 is going to be a lot more evolution, and I think that we're going to see some of these startups, unfortunately, go by the wayside. I think that there's going to be – uh, there's a lot of money being poured into the CRE tech space, yeah. but until we start seeing some major exits, I think that we're, you know, we're, I think we're going to be challenged. I think that you're going to see, you know, there were some there was one company that was asking me to invest. And I said, I said to a buddy of mine, I go, what's their exit? He's like, Oh, they're going to get sold to WeWork in six months. Hmm. Well, guess what? Not now. It's not an option anymore. Right. So, uh, AI, v AR, VR, uh, those are my trends for 2020. 
I love it. Are you, um, are you seeing WeWork kind of contract in your market in like Jersey and New York and, and kind they're of- not in our market and they can't contract, you know, they have leases in place, you know, they're just not expanding. They were, they were poised to come into Jersey in a big way. And, and obviously now they're not, yep. uh, look, I think that there's, wait, let me go back. I'm not <laughs> supposed to comment on WeWork. Here's what I will say about co-working as a, as an industry. industry. Yeah. I think the, there's a space for co-working in our, in our industry. And mm-hmm. frankly, I think that co-working does better in a down economy than it does in an expanding economy. And so I think the co-working is here to stay. I think that, excuse me, like anything else, when it's done right, it'll succeed. And when it's done wrong, it won't. And we've had co-working forever, you know, Regis and HQ, you know, this is a company that's been around for a long, long time. Right. Okay. It's just now it's more prevalent and it looks different because I have a friend who had 5,000 square feet in a WeWork and he decided he needed a big boy space. His words, not mine. 10,000 feet. I'm going to go sign a real lease. I'm going to be a real company. And he went to all these landlords we had relationships with, and they all said the same thing, 10,000 feet, no problem, 10-year deal, 7-year deal, 12-year deal, no problem. But back to WeWork, said, look, I need 10,000 feet. What can you do for me? WeWork said, oh, if you want 10,000 feet, no problem. You have to commit long-term. So what's long-term? 11 months. <laughs> oh, really? Well, when can I move in? I don't know, Monday? We've got 10,000 square feet, two blocks from where you are right now. Just pick up and move. Go in on Monday. You'll be fine. Yeah. Like, that's a different, that's a game changer, right? So that there's a space for that here because somebody else manages that 10,000. It's built. Somebody's managing that process that takes away the pain from a tenant of signing a lease when they don't know what their long-term prognosis is for space. The punchline right. is 10 months into his 11-month lease, he needed 15,000 square feet. So if he had signed a 10-year deal, he would have been subleasing that space, right. trying to get the landlord to, because he, you're boxed in at that point. So he knew he was smart enough to stay. And by the way, cost more per month. Not going to say that it doesn't, right? Yep. But it was better for his business. So sure. co-working is here to stay. I love it. Well, Jeremy, we've had a great conversation. I really appreciate your time today. Um, what one thing, go ahead. One thing. Yeah. What one thing do you want to leave the audience with? I, have I, fun, man. It's too, life's too short. Have some fun. And there we go. Kid, I, go to a concert, whatever makes you, whatever lights you on fire. If it's not lighting you on fire, go find something else to do. Be happy. All right, brother. Thanks for your time today. We've learned a ton from you. Really appreciate the way you give. I also love Go Giver. I think it's one of our favorite, uh, one of our favorite books here at our company. We give it to our new salespeople every time they start. Oh, awesome! And if you need a book, this is it: Scaling Your Business. So I want to give it away to our audience real quick. We just finished this. We're giving it away free. Um, you can get it on Amazon or Kindle. And all you need to do right now is text the letter SVP to three one nine nine six, and you can get a copy of it put it right on your Kindle or your device and, and check it out. It will be a bestseller. It's in pre-launch right now, but December 23rd is our launch date. So I'm getting excited about that. And Jeremy, again, I just want to thank you for being here today and, and loving on our people. 
Good luck with the book. That's awesome. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. All right, guys. Have a great day. And if you need help in your business, visit myoutdesk.com. We help people just like you, real estate people, get talent today. Appreciate all your time. And thanks for joining us today.